morning, church. This morning, uh, you probably didn't expect me to get up this early onto the stage, but uh, uh, today, uh, and I hope it will become clear why in just a, a few moments, but today, uh, we really envisioned the entire service leading up to the communion moment, uh, leading up to the moment where we uh, experience that meal together. And so, uh, as Shane has, has just mentioned, we are uh, today moving towards that moment together, moving towards a moment where we are one body, uh, one church together, having one meal together. So please, uh, as, I, as I'm preaching on Ephesians chapter 4 today, keep that in mind. Uh, also, I uh, want to say, uh, uh, David Parkin just announced about Rising Star and a few of the uh, needs that we still have uh, for sleeping bags and things like that. Well, uh, great news. Uh, he said we needed pillows. And uh, in the five minutes between David Parkin and myself getting up on stage, we have all the pillows that we need. Uh, so uh, thank you guys for your generosity uh, of letting us borrow those things or, or purchasing brand new for us to be able to use uh, for the next week or so. Uh, we really appreciate you guys sharing uh, the gifts and the things that you have uh, so that we can make sure that the kids who are coming to spend time with us have a great week uh, while they're here with us. So the past couple weeks, we've been in the book of Ephesians, and today we're going to continue that series, continue talking through uh, the, the story of Ephesians and what Paul has to say to the church there. Uh, just a short recap of what John Mark has been uh, talking to us about the past couple weeks. Uh, he reminded us in the very first chapter uh, that this is a letter written to a particular people, written uh, at a particular time in history, uh, and for a particular reason. Uh, but the good news about the, the book of Ephesians is that Ephesians is also written to us. Uh, and perhaps in a unique way, because uh, the book of Ephesians is not written in a crisis. It's not written because there's a problem going on uh, in the church of Ephesus, which is pretty unique to the New Testament. Usually, when Paul writes a letter, it's because he has to uh, you know, scold the congregation or, or help them get back on track or, or try to figure out how, how they should follow God correctly. But the book of Ephesians isn't really like that. Uh, Ephesians is written to a people just as an encouragement. Uh, as, a, as a motivation for continuing to live faithfully, not because something's going wrong, not because there's a, a problem to address or a need within the community, but simply because Paul spent time with this church. Paul planted this church, and he wants to see the church grow and continue to succeed and continue to look like Jesus. And so uh, John Mark even said in that first sermon, you can picture Paul writing this letter to us. You can picture Paul writing this letter to the church in Dallas, to the church of Skillman, uh, and we can insert ourselves into that kind of thing because this is a unique letter written for a unique purpose, and perhaps we can, can draw on that as well. Well, and then he went on, and in, in the second week he challenged us to, to look for the ways that we are blocking God's grace from entering into our lives. What are the ways that we're ignoring God, or what are the ways that we're uh, put, putting God off to the side, and how can we instead open ourselves up to the grace that God has for each and every one of us? Then last week we spent time with that closing hymn of the first part of the book. At the end of chapter 3, Paul writes this beautiful uh, passage, these beautiful words, this, this almost hymn, uh, and he shares it with the church, and it's this blessing, this encouragement. Uh, and now he's moving into chapter 4. And chapter 4, uh, John Mark said last week, is a, is a little bit of a, of a transition, because he's laid the, the, the groundwork, he's, he's put the foundation in place, and now he's ready to really start building something in chapter 4. Uh, and so chapter 4, we're going to see, uh, is actually uh, where we came up with the, uh, the idea for what uh, this sermon series will look like, uh, growing up in Christ. Paul finally gets to his point. Uh, he's laid the foundation. We know who we are, and now we know who God is. So now what are we going to do because of it? And he gets to that in chapter 4. But before we actually read any in chapter 4, uh, I need to ask some of our kids who are here with us. Uh, today, so uh, if you are our uh, third, fourth, fifth grader, uh, and, and most of you are sitting kind of over here, I need to ask you a question. Okay, you ready? Parker, you kind of shook your head no. 
You're right. Okay, she's ready. Have you guys heard the joke about peat and repeat? Destiny, you've heard that one? Come up here, Destiny. I need you to come up here. She doesn't want to. I'm, I'm picking on her. Okay, come on, Destiny. Y'all give Destiny a round of applause. Destiny, you're not shy in front of the microphone, I know, because you sing on the praise team from time to time. So I'm going to give you a microphone, and I'll let, can, do, you, do you remember the joke? No? Okay. Well, I'm going to tell the joke, okay? I want you to respond, okay? Are you ready? This is a joke about Pete and Repeat. Okay. So Pete and Repeat, two best friends, they go on a fishing trip. Pete and Repeat, they want to catch a fish. Pete casts his line out into the water, into the middle of the lake, catches a fish, he starts to reel it in, but Pete falls in the, in the water. So who's left in the boat? So Pete and Repeat are two best friends. <laughs> and we're fishing. Ah, oh, okay, there it is. Y'all give Destiny a round of applause. Thanks for being a good sport. Uh, so uh, that's, a, that's a, a kind of a corny joke. I first heard that joke from my own father, uh, who's sitting right over here. So you guys, if you want to hear some more corny jokes, go talk to him after service. Uh, but later I heard that joke from a good friend of mine uh, who, uh, for two, I promise, for two years, uh, he, uh, this, this friend was a big dork, for two years uh, after the movie Shrek came out, he only spoke quoting Donkey from the movie Shrek. Uh, so that tells you what kind of people you have to know in order to hear that kind of joke. Uh, but I also wanted to, to tell you another story, a story of when I, Rebecca and I were living in Abilene. Uh, we were still uh, college students there, and I was the preaching intern at the Highland Church of Christ, uh, working with Jonathan Storman. And at the time, Jonathan was working on writing his first book. And he was so proud of this book. Uh, and since I was his intern, I had uh, the, uh, the I'll, say, I'll say it kindly, I had the, the pleasant job of editing the book for Jonathan. Uh, and if you know Jonathan, you know he's not very good uh, with anything to do with writing. And so there was plenty of edits to be made. Uh, but he, he was so proud of this book, and there was this line in the book, and I want to read the line to you, uh, because I want you to know, if you pick up Jonathan's book and, and, and read it, uh, I didn't make this edit. But this is the way that the line was supposed to read in the book. He's uh, writing about the Gospel of Luke at this point, and he's quoting uh, the Gospel of Luke, and it says, Jesus goes into the desert to fast for 40 days, and Luke tells us that he was hungry. Jonathan says, well, thanks, Luke, for clearing that up for us. Forty days without a bite eat, and he was hungry. Luke evidently went to the redundant school of redundancy. <laughs> That's the way the line's supposed to be. I didn't make this edit, but uh, later on, the book got sent to the publisher, and the publisher thought that was a little bit too repetitive. Uh, and so the, the publisher edited and changed it to, Luke evidently went to the school of redundancy, which still works. But it's not as funny, right? The redundant school of redundancy, and they changed it to the school of redundancy. Okay, so why am I telling you these seemingly bizarre, useless stories when we're supposed to be talking about Ephesians chapter 4? Uh, I hope that it will become clear to you in just a few minutes. But I want us to dive in, and I want us to read a passage uh, out of this chapter, a short little bit. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, feel free to turn over to chapter 4. And we're going to start, uh, actually not in verse 1, uh, but we're going to start in verse 13, kind of in the middle of that verse. And so this is what it says. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're not supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ, who is the head. The whole body grows from him as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The body makes itself grow and that it builds itself up with love 
as each one does their part. So Paul, in this letter so far, the first three chapters, he's been building towards this point. He's been building up, he's laid the foundation, we know who God is, we know who we are, and now Paul's ready to tell us what we need to do because of it. And so he says, the thing that you need to do as followers of Jesus is to grow up, to look just like Jesus. Now if you look around the room in here, uh, you, you, you see a lot of different people in a lot of different stages of life. And so uh, imagine uh, all of us growing up together in Christ. What would that look like? Uh, we already have seen Destiny came up on stage. We've got a number of kids in the audience with us. Uh, imagine these kids growing up, looking like the fullness of Christ. We've got a number of young, uh, young professionals, young singles, young marrieds uh, in the room today. Imagine these people growing up to look like Christ. Or, or some of our families uh, who are themselves raising kids, growing up to look like Christ. We've got people in here who uh, impolitely are, are labeled middle-aged. Uh, uh, I say impolitely because if you look back on the time period of history called the Middle Ages, I challenge you to tell me one good thing that came out of that time period. <laughs> so I'm sorry if people are labeling you middle-aged. Uh, it's not me. Uh, somebody else did that. But imagine the folks in this room, middle-aged, growing up into the fullness of Christ. We have people who are retired, uh, people who are our seniors, our elders, people who have lived a full life but have so much life left in them still. What would it look like, as Paul says, for all of us to grow up into the fullness of who Jesus is. So Paul has built the foundation. He's told us his goal, his purpose. His purpose is for us to grow up in Christ. And now he's gonna tell us some ways that we might go about doing that. So let's continue on and let's go back and let's pick up some of the ground that we, we missed out on at the beginning of the chapter, starting in verse, verse one. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body, one spirit, just as God also called you in one home. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God, the Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So did you catch what Paul's doing here? He's repeating himself over and over again. In fact, there are three really important things that Paul's going to repeat in this section. And the first one's not immediately obvious, uh, but nine times over the course of the last three chapters of the book, Paul uses the word, therefore. Uh, sometimes it gets translated as the word, so. Uh, but nine times in these three chapters, he's going to use the word, therefore. And it's an important word, although it might not seem like it seems like just a transition word. But it's an important word because what Paul's doing, every time he repeats this word, he says, therefore, because of what I've just told you, now do this. So every time Paul uses that word, therefore, nine times in the next three chapters, every time he uses it, he wants us to remember what he's already written. Because you have the foundation of who God is, because you know who you are in Christ, now do this and live this way. Because this is the calling that God has given to you. Two times in these six verses, Paul uses that word call, calling. He wants us to know that we are called by God. This is not a random uh, act. It's not something that, that has happened by accident, but God is intentionally calling to each of us. The goal is for us to grow up to look like the fullness of who Jesus is, and we are called to live that way. He says it twice. You're called by God. You're called into one hope. And then, of course, Paul repeats himself seven times over three verses, that we are one, that we are to become one. 
that we are one body, one spirit, with one hope and one Lord, one faith, one baptism, because of our one God and Father. We are one, Paul says. We are to strive towards that oneness. And I don't think it's an accident that in this letter, Paul, all over the place, is talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Have you caught any of that language as we've been reading through this book together? That Paul, all over the place, is referring to God as Father, Son, and Spirit. That God, want, God wants us to know Him as this triune God. That Paul wants us to know that, that who God is is Father, Son, and Spirit. And now we're called to be one. Paul wants us to know that we have an example of what that oneness looks like in who God is. We don't have many examples of oneness in our world today. Uh, you just look around. I, I can tell you stories from just this week. I can tell you stories from just this month. We don't have many stories of what it looks like to be one in our world today. We have a lot of stories about what it looks like to be divided. A lot of stories about that. We are divided based on our status. Uh, all over the place we hear stories of people who are divided based on their status. People who are divided based on their wealth. People who are rich and poor. People who are divided because of that. People who are divided because of their politics. Uh, you can't seemingly go a day without hearing how we're divided by our politics. People who are divided by their skin color, by their sex, by their country of origin. People who are divided by each and everything. We have examples all over the place, but Paul says you have an example of what it means to be one. You are called to that. You are called to be one like God is one. What a project. What an amount of homework for us. I think I could probably pack up and be done now because we have plenty of work to do when it comes to becoming one. Plenty of work to do to do what Paul says God has called us to. To be one as our God is one. In fact, I, uh, I recently heard a story uh, uh, that, that illustrates the work that we have to do on this. Uh, it's a story that, that, ends, uh, that hasn't quite ended yet. I, I don't know how the story ends. But it's a story that, that shows us how our world is divided, but how a glimpse of this oneness that God wants for us shines through from time to time. It's a story about a man uh, who's from London, and a couple uh, days ago he was riding home on the underground at the end of the day. Uh, he was, he was getting, about to get on the train, and uh, he, he was getting on, he looked down the platform, and he noticed a woman sitting by herself who was visibly shaking. Uh, she was sitting there shaking by herself, and unsure of what to do, but compelled to do something. He approached her and asked her if she was all right. Well, of course she wasn't. Uh, visibly, you could, you could tell that from a distance, but when she responded, she said, no, I'm not all right. Uh, two days ago, I left my family and my husband behind because uh, my husband abused me. And I, I left thinking that somebody would help me, somebody would be there uh, to, to help me and to, to provide for me, to, to give me some help uh, to, until I got back on my feet. But two days have passed and I haven't received any help. And I have nowhere to go. I have nothing to do. I'm just sitting here, waiting, scared, and alone. And so the man began to ask her questions of ways that he might be able to, to help her get some help. He asked her about a government shelter. There was no help to be found there. He asked her about a local nonprofit. Well, there was nothing that they could do for her either. He asked whether she had any extended family living in the area, and they had turned their backs on her because she had left her husband. He asked if, if there was a hospital that could take her in. She didn't have the right paperwork to go to the hospital. Over and over and over again, this woman needed help, 
And either because places were too overworked or understaffed or because she didn't have the right paperwork, they turned her away. They couldn't help her. And so finally this man called a church down the street. And after a little bit of time, it took a little bit of time, but he finally got a hold of the pastor of the church. And the pastor agreed to let this elderly Muslim woman come stay with he and his family for the night. Over and over and over again, examples of how this woman was failed. People who, who couldn't help her for whatever reason. She had been divided from her family, divided from her faith, divided from her country, divided all over the place. And yet there was one glimpse for just one night of how the oneness of God shone through, of a local church who was willing to help. I hope you've seen and heard stories over the past couple of weeks of how we as a church this summer are trying to be one, trying to do the will of God, trying to work for God's purposes. We're welcoming a group of kids from Africa, teenagers, to come and spend some, some evenings with us as a church. We're providing vetting for them. We've got VBS coming up in a couple of weeks, and we're, we're trying to do what's right to, to, to show this world who this one God is. But let me tell you, church, as great as those things are, there's a lot of work left to do in this world. This is a divided world, a world that needs to know the oneness of our God. Paul goes on in uh, the later parts of this chapter, and he continues to explain to us as followers the ways that we might be able joined with this oneness of God, to do the things that God has called us to do. And so in verse 21, Paul picks up and he says, since you really listened to Christ and you were taught how the truth is in Jesus, change the former way of life that was part of the person who you once were, corrupted by deceitful desires, and instead renew the thinking in your mind by the Spirit, and clothe yourself with the new person created according to God's image and justice and true holiness. Therefore, that word that Paul says nine times over these three chapters, therefore, after you have gotten rid of lying, each of you must tell the truth to your neighbor because we are parts of each other in the same body. Be angry without sin. Don't let the sun set on your anger. Don't provide an opportunity for the devil. Thieves should no longer steal. Instead, they should go to work using their hands to do good so that they will have something to share with whoever is in need. And don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Only say what is helpful when it's needed for building up the community so that it benefits those who hear what you say. Don't make the Holy Spirit of God unhappy, for you were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Put aside all bitterness, losing your temper, anger, shouting, and slander, along with every kind of evil. Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving to each other in the same way that God forgave you in Christ. Paul lays it out for us. All over this chapter, Paul is giving us homework. He goes through the list. Uh, don't be angry with one another. And if you are angry, then don't sin when you're angry. Don't lie. Don't deceive one another. Be kind, compassionate. Don't make the Holy Spirit of God unhappy. Over and over and over again, Paul is showing us what it means to follow Christ, to grow up into the fullness of who Jesus is. Over and over and over again, we are given homework by Paul. Things that will take us a lifetime, a lifetime to accomplish. Just this list. There are lists all over the New Testament of ways that we can live, ways that we can uphold the standard that God calls us to, but just this list would take us a lifetime to accomplish. To, to not sin when we're angry. To not lie to one another. To be kind. To be compassionate or forgiving. These are things that take us years 
in years to master. And even when we think we've done it, something comes up, some opportunity in our lives where we have to learn to practice it again. Paul is calling us to oneness, and it takes everything that we have, and it takes a lifetime to master. Paul says that to become one, to become one with God, to follow this God, to grow up into the fullness of who Christ is, it's going to take everything that we have, everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we say, and everything else that I can't think of to say for you today. For Paul, nobody is exempt. Not the devout Jew, not the religious Gentile. For Paul, nobody is exempt, not the, the kids who are here present among us today, not the teenagers, not the, the young adults, the young singles, the young marrieds, the young families, not the middle-agers, not the elders, not the, the, those who are retired. Nobody is exempt. Not the rich or poor, the white and black, the Hispanic. Nobody is exempt. Everybody is called to oneness, to become one with Christ. And so as we begin to enter into our meal together today, as we share the one body and the one cup of Christ, may we hear Paul as he reminds us of God's calling to be one. May we listen to those words. May we answer the call. Here in just a few minutes, we're going to continue singing, and then we're going to pass the bread and the cup around. But before we do that, I'd like to offer invitation that we offer every week. And uh, some, some, uh, some of you will respond perhaps to this invitation, but I have a more specific invitation for each of us today as well. Uh, if you're here this morning and you'd like to put on Christ in baptism, if you'd like to join this family and join us in becoming one together, the work that we have laid out for us, we invite you, I invite you to come speak with me about baptism. If you're here today and you have a physical, emotional, uh, a spiritual need, our elders and their wives are going to gather around the room after communion as we worship, and we invite you to come and spend some time in prayer with them. But for each of us, not all of us will respond in one of those ways. But for the next 30 seconds, or maybe the next minute, I want to invite you to listen to God, to silently pray together, to listen to the leading of God on your heart. Because there's something in your life, some way that you can become one Christ this week. Something that you can do. Some way that you can join what God has called us to. So for the next few seconds, would you silently listen to the leading of God on your heart? Do that. Please do that now and then we'll share the cup together. 